On today's episode of Still Processing a 76ers podcast, there has been a drastic update on Joel Embiid's injury status, how that will affect the Sixers, we will get into. And then on top of that, the trade deadline's coming up, and we're going to take a look at some red light, green light candidates for who the 76ers could or possibly should look into acquiring. All that today and more on this latest edition of Still Processing a 76ers podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Still Processing, a 76ers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Chalella, here with the full group. Excited to have you. Got my man, Justin Crosby, my man, Sandy Giovanni. Guys, this is the first pod with all three of us on it. How exciting is that? Very, very excited. About (laughs) time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Kind of a good news, bad news situation. Good news, we got the group, you know, the whole gang together here today. Uh, The bad news, of course... Roche just tweeted out Joel Embiid undergoing uh, procedure this week to repair his left meniscus. Uh, recovery timeline is kind of left blank. Just know that he's going to be out for an extended period of time. Uh, Woj did follow up saying that the door is not closed on an Embiid return this season. Uh, and there's going to be a clear idea on a timeline once the procedure is complete later on this week. So, just to kind of dive right on into it, you know, the sky is <laughs> going to be falling for a lot of Sixers fans, obviously. But, uh, Sam, why don't we start with your take? What, what's your initial gut reaction? This news broke within the past 15 minutes. What is your initial gut reaction to that news? Uh, I mean, obviously, unfortunate that Joel is going to continue to miss time, uh, hoping that, um, you know, this the path that they chose that they spent a few days deliberating is what's best for him health-wise, of course, most important thing. Um, so shortly after Woj broke the news, the Sixers released a statement, and it reads as follows. Joel Embiid will have a corrective procedure this week to address an injury to the lateral meniscus in his left knee. An update will be provided following the procedure. Uh, Woj followed up saying that, as you mentioned, the door isn't closed on an Embiid return this season, but there will be a clear timeline once the procedure is done. So, uh, obviously, again, first and foremost is, you know, hoping that he uh, gets well soon. Uh, this whole injury saga has been very, very disappointing. Uh, the fact that it, his season is not ruled out at this point is promising, of course. Still plenty of time left. Um, they're going to need him back as soon as possible, obviously, to keep even a decent standing in the in a very hyper-competitive playoff picture in the East. So, uh, it sounds like we'll know more around, you know, sometime later in the week. Uh, I, I, we thought the trade deadline couldn't get any busier. Now we're waiting for Embiid to have his procedures, see that that timeline, and I'm sure whatever that timeline is will impact the team's, uh, you know, how they want to attack the uh, trade deadline. So we will see. Yeah, there's no doubt that this is going to impact the trade deadline. It's going to impact uh, seating, obviously, comes at, uh, of course, an inopportune time. You have the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, who continue to flounder under Doc Rivers. As I saw an interesting stat the other day, and we're not—we're we're talking about Embiid, so we're not going to focus on Doc. 
but he hadn't played a single player under the age of 27 in his entire time since being the head coach of the team, which is just fantastically on brand. But the Milwaukee Bucks are, are struggling. The uh, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, the New York Knicks, obviously uh, very hot uh, right now. And it's just you had a clear opportunity to uh, not only overtake the Bucks for the second seed, but you also have to keep up with the Knicks and the Cavaliers. They lost the lead already. Uh, and now, like, there's, there's still a ways to go until this, but you're trying to hold position over the Indiana Pacers. So with all this, uh, it is not ideal, obviously. But when you think about the greater good, which is Joel Embiid in the playoffs, it, it, it's almost like a necessary evil. Uh, and, and Sam, just like you said, the most important thing is he has to do what's right for him uh, by his health, which is unfortunately kind of how we got into the situation in the first place, just with, uh, you know, trying to push through, which is admirable, but sometimes not the the right course of action. Justin, what were your first thoughts uh, when you saw the, the Woj tweet about Embiid's injury? I mean, again, I echo everything you guys said, but I kind of figured it was going to be something like this because when the original – information came out and said he was going back to Philly to be evaluated by doctors in Philly. That screamed second opinion. That screamed the first time we got a look at an MRI in um, Oakland or San Francisco that it wasn't what we, um, you know, what he wanted to see. So ultimately I was expecting this. Um, I was expecting the worst, hoping for the best. Um, And I think the Sixers and everybody, the fans, everybody who covers the team on a beat. I feel like everybody has that same thought process. So the fact that uh, he hasn't technically been ruled out for the season is promising, but in my eyes, it just seems like, you know, that messaging could be for leverage as far as the trade deadline as it's still coming. So who knows? We'll see after the procedure when we get the real thing. But I mean, if this is what's best for Embiid and his career going forward, then I think this was the right move. It sucks to feel like he has a lost season when it was guaranteed. Basically, he was going to win a back-to-back MVP. Um, but you know, just hoping for you know some some more clarity on his timeline um, later this week, hopefully. Yeah, and with the meniscus, it can be a little bit funny uh, once you're talking about surgical procedures. You know, you're bare minimum you're talking about at least a month. You know, and up to season ending. Now, Woj already clarified he doesn't expect it to uh be a season ending surgery obviously more is going to be known after the surgery there are you know between whether it's complications or what have you there's certain different factors to take into consideration that once we see how he adjusts to the surgery how the surgery itself goes first and foremost obviously but uh how his body begins to react after the fact matters as well uh depending on the specific type of meniscus surgery, if it's a full-on meniscus repair, or I'm going to say this wrong, but uh, meniscectomy, I think I, I I might have actually powered my way through it. Uh, you know, you're looking at different timelines. You know, four to six weeks for a meniscectomy. Uh, looking at more so that traditional kind of three to six months if you're looking at more of a full-on meniscus repair. So uh, it's it's an extended period of time. Obviously, either way, a long time to lose Joel Embiid the again as you said Justin you know there's there was you would have to be (laughs) 
and unfortunately there are select members of the media that you could say this about, but you would have to be a certain kind of person to not vote Joel Embiid for MVP the way that he was playing this season. Uh, if he met that 65 game requirement, which I, I mean, that rule is what it is. It's the fact that Embiid's not going to win the MVP because of this rule is not the reason that I have an issue with the rule. Tyrese Halliburton playing 20 minutes a game just to make sure that he qualifies for, uh, you know, pay bumps for all NBA uh, nomination. Like that's, that's the reason I have an issue with this rule. But uh, if he did qualify for it, the way that he's played this season, it's hard to argue anybody else unless Luca leads the Mavericks to an an impressive uh, leap up the Western conference standings, which I just is my subtle watch out for him to overtake Jokic for the MVP. That's just all I'm saying on that. But uh, Alexander. Shay and Shay is somebody who never gets enough mentioned, I feel like. And I think that's ultimately going to be his, his kind of undoing. You know, it's not that Shay is not a deserving candidate. It's, I mean, honestly, I would, and I'm not trying to make this a knock on Jokic, who's had an amazing year. I'd be ready to give it to Shay over Jokic right now, just based on what he's brought to the table. The fact that he's elevated such a young roster to the heights that they're at in the Western Conference is, honestly a little bit insane i just don't think that he's because there's that little bit of a popularity contest sometimes with these votings you know it's that's the one concern that i have with shay but you're right sam absolutely more than deserving of a candidate for mvp probably a three-man race between those three guys going forward uh but it's it's going to be interesting to see how that breaks justin what do you got for me no just quickly john clark uh nbc who you guys know he is a respected media member in all sports in Philly. He said he was told that this is not expected to be season ending. So, I mean, we'll see what comes out, but that's still some more optimism that we have as far as Embiid's timeline. Yep. John Clark on the plane with the meniscus surgeon, uh, confirming that it's not expected to be season ending. Looking, uh, I mean, hopefully, like, it's, it's not just not only season ending, not season ending, I should say, but... Uh, there's a little bit of a ramp up period, hopefully before the playoffs kick in. So uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a bummer, obviously more than obviously, uh, especially for those who, who took the time to check out the Sixers just last night, Saturday night, as they played the Brooklyn Nets, uh, Sam and I, we were down at the game uh, at the center and it was, uh, it was not pretty Sam. We're not going to take much time to talk about this because uh, you know, we, we have our own mental health to to think about, but uh, what what was your major takeaway from the game last night? I mean, I guess I'll just put my stack of notes off to the side here. I had a whole thing. I was ready to go for two straight hours about this game. Now, um, terrible man, just just not a great game at all for the Sixers. And there is, you know, obviously some sympathy to be had with not just Embiid being out, but Tobias, D'Anthony, and Nico. That is the rest of their starting lineup, aside from Maxi. Uh, who came to the rescue in Utah and, I mean, maybe a little preview of how it's going to go for as long as Joel is out. Max, he's going to save them or he's not, and that's not any fault on him. It's just the reality of the situation right now with how the team is built, and obviously that's bound to change in the, you know, leading up to the deadline. But the Nets treated Maxi like a superstar. They blitzed him a bunch near the top, and – they either made him, they forced him to make a really tough pass to uh, the opposite side of the floor where they could recover, or there was just no one there from the Sixers to catch on the short roll and then attack in the advantage. 
So there was a path for them to at least make it competitive. Uh, Brooklyn had a pretty good shooting night, and part of that was some of some poor uh, defense from Philly. But but just how many injuries they were dealing with. I mean, not not a great effort. They should have at least kept it close against a not so impressive Brooklyn team. But yeah, not a not a great game whatsoever. Very forgettable and pretty much every aspect aside from Traquavion Smith's fourth quarter. That was very fun to see him light it up. Um, talked after the game about it and. It's pretty cool, but yeah, that was. I mean, when the best part about a game is uh, how a player plays in garbage time, you, you know the steady, the status of that game is uh, not. Yeah, it, so it, it wasn't a fun game. Uh, it, it, it's obviously the one of the first things that you talk about when you're talking about the game is how shorthanded the Sixers were, and and you're absolutely right. You mentioned four out of five starters not being there. You're talking about you know. Uh, help for role player like Robert Covington not playing in the game, which based on what's coming out from practice earlier today, it, it does not sound like Covington's returning anytime soon, uh, which is is just really disheartening. Uh, just for a guy who was such a big part of the process to come back to the city uh, and, and to he, – he never seemed to fully click in Nick Nurse's rotation, but he was producing at the very least, you know, uh, leading the NBA in, in deflections for 36 minutes for a long while there. Uh, so it's it's just a shame to see health-wise all the way around. But when you talk about how Philadelphia should have been a little bit more competitive against Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn also had their fair share of injuries. Like that's the thing that I felt like kind of get it, it got glossed over a good bit. Uh, being short Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, being short Dayron Sharp, like these are actual contributors. You know, now if Mikel Bridges missed the game, yeah, we're probably talking about the – or, or, or at least we're probably more likely to talk about, you know, the, the injuries that uh, the Nets are going through. But uh, they, they put up that week of a performance against a team that wasn't fully healthy either. I mean, few teams are this time of year. And uh, just the lack of energy and commitment defensively, uh, just terrible, just terrible. Some of, the, some of the biggest guilty parties in that, Kelly Oubre, first and foremost, Mo Bamba was... I, and I got to call these guys out for this is terrible. Uh, and Patrick Beverly was uh, not his, his typical uh, feisty. Oh, he was feisty, but he, he just, he didn't have that defensive, uh, that solid defensive play that, you know, we've, we've seen at times and, and the whole team just, just spent the entire time over committing on rotations defensively. And uh, they're helping on Ben Simmons who didn't even take, I don't, I don't even think he took not a shot, shot the entire not night. One. Did he take a shot? Not one, not one shot. Uh, and and you're doubling Ben and it like <laughs> these guys know Ben they like everyone in the league knows the scouting report on Ben and yet you're you're throwing double coverage at him when he's just gonna dish to to the open man it's just was that's part of what led to the whole three point disparage uh, you know, disparaging yeah. between the, the stats and uh, which really kind of got puffed back up at the end because you talked about Turk and him just going absolutely berserk from three in the fourth quarter there, which probably could have used him a little bit sooner in the game. Maybe uh, that's something that changes going forward if the Sixers continue to be so shorthanded. Uh, D'Anthony Melton already listed as out for tomorrow's game against Dallas, which he was Batum as well. hopefully supposed to be in there. Uh, yeah, you're right, Batum as well. So, like, Ricky Council got early early minutes in uh, Saturday's game, and I thought overall he played pretty well. But I'm only using that as a point to say you couldn't play Turk Smith earlier. Like the Sixers could definitely use. I, I understand that he's not 
a great ball handler, but he's one of the best the Sixers have healthy right now. So to have him out there, to have that shot-making capability, that shot-taking capability, he's which is another willing shooter. He's a willing shooter. That's just something the Sixers hardly have. Outside of Tyrese Maxey, I mean, Kelly Oubre is, is going to Kelly Oubre, but that's not the kind of willing shooter that we're talking about here. I mean, we're talking about guys who, like, you know, they, they will let it fly with confidence and and with actually a chance. I mean, Kelly Oubre is kind of just spamming the, you know, the, the left-handed uh, finger roll at the basket, and it's just – he did a good job getting the whistle yesterday, but, you know, not much else was uh, was was extremely positive. But that was the case for, for most everybody on the Sixers. You know, there's not really a whole lot of positive to take away from a game like that. You almost kind of throw the tape away in the bin and move on, move forward. So we'll see. We'll see what happens Monday night against the uh, the Mavericks. And, you know, still in Philadelphia. Uh, but the story for the next week is, you know, or, or, or half week, I should say, uh, is, is not so much going to be about what's going on on the court. It's going to be waiting to see what happens with Joel Embiid. And it's going to be around the trade deadline, which is Thursday, which just – incredible that it, it's come that quickly already i feel like there's uh still so much to talk about as far as names that aren't available if anyone uh has been keeping up with that you know you're looking at people like uh zach levine who was <laughs> in negotiations to be dumped to the detroit pistons and now all of a sudden has a foot ending a season ending foot surgery uh which is just a, a fantastic job by his manager uh you know you look at different situations like uh, DeJounte Murray, where the asking price seems to be too high. There's not a whole lot of interest. Alex Caruso, again, the asking price seems to be a little bit too high. The biggest deals, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, have already happened this year. Uh, so this is just kind of coming up as kind of a dull, kind of a boring trade deadline. And now Joel Embiid's hurt and out for an extended period of time. So the Sixers, who were expected more so a month ago than recently, to be one of the big players at the trade deadline, what are they even going to do? So it's it's going to be interesting to see how committed they are. And, and Sam, I think you said this earlier, depending on the news that comes out regarding Joel Embiid's actual timetable after the surgery, yeah, I think that is going to affect the, the level of aggression and also the strategy uh, going forward this Thursday into the trade deadline. But, uh, you know, we, we still want to take some time, take a look at some players who we think might potentially be a good fit or you might want to stay away from too. So, uh, Sam, you had the great idea. Let's play a little red light, green light with some of these trade names that have been kind of floated around, talked about with the Philadelphia 76ers. We're going to go around first. And, and uh, just to give a brief explanation, it's not too hard to kind of follow along with it. Obviously, your red light, those are your guys that you think just the Sixers should not pursue at, at all. There's just not a scenario where you think they should pursue this player or the trade deadline. Uh, the yellow light is you could be talked into it. You could be convinced. You could be coerced. And then the green light, you're all for it. You're good to go. This is somebody who you think the Sixers should absolutely target. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, Sam, I'm going to turn it over to you. Who's your first red light guy here? Uh, first red light is Kyle Kuzma. Um, he's been mentioned as a trade target for the Sixers and other teams here and there. And I struggle to see how he would be a sizable upgrade for the Sixers. He's a He's a fine player, but... You know, you assume he's going to take Tobias Harris's spot. And between the two, I don't – I mean, if Kuzma is better in a vacuum, that's one thing, but it's not by much. And I don't think his fit with the Sixers is as good as Tobias's for all of his shortcomings. Tobias is a maybe not as willing of a shooter as people in Philly would like him to be, but 
but he's a he's an efficient shooter. He has been for for a while now. He can uh, in Kuzma, not so much. Whether he's been one of the main guys in Washington he, earlier in his career when he had the playmaking of some guy named LeBron James, he he just wasn't always a super efficient uh, shooter. He doesn't really go for super efficient looks. Um, and this isn't even about just the fact that he's the leader of one of the worst teams. Anyone would be leading that Washington team into the second to last spot right now because that's not that's not a good roster. But for me, I I don't understand the upgrade of what Kuzma would provide that makes him an upgrade over Tobias. The only thing I can see is that maybe he'll have fewer of those games where you know Tobias will kind of just like disappear into the background. He won't be aggressive. He won't you know try to make things happen. I feel like Kuzma might have more of that you know, takeover mentality, but even still, it's probably not with a skill set that makes the Sixers all that much better. And on top of that, Tobias is expiring, Kuzma isn't. I think with such a marginal upgrade, you might as well just keep the flexibility in the offseason. So I really do not see a path where Kuzma uh, makes sense for the Sixers. Justin, any thoughts on Kyle Kuzma? I mean, that's good because I was thinking of him too. Uh, he was one of the people that, that I named as well. But um, yeah, I, I agree. Like he's not margin, he's not that much of an upgrade. Plus the contract. Um, plus, I just feel like, in my opinion, when you watch Kuzma on the court, I just feel like he gets into these like chuck modes, and it's just like maybe it's because he's playing with Washington, but it's just like it's not fun and good basketball to watch. I mean, he could definitely get a bucket when he's really concentrating, but it's like. He just doesn't have a – I feel like he just doesn't fit well enough here and not that much better than Tobias. So, yeah, I definitely think that's a red light. Yeah, I mean, as as cozy as his pregame sweaters are, I, I agree. I just don't think that there's, like, a, a marginal enough upgrade to to bring in Kyle Guzman. And the one thing, too, is that I, I think as a defender, he's a downgrade from, uh, from Tobias, especially on the wing there. So, uh, yeah, there's nothing really about Kuzma that – I'm enamored with. I think that he could help several teams uh, right now, but I just don't think the Philadelphia 76ers are, are one of them. So yeah, no, absolutely fully in agreement. Justin, who's your, who's your red light guy? So my red light guy is somebody who's, who hasn't necessarily been connected to the Sixers, but people have started to connect some dots of other trades go down. So it's actually uh, D'Angelo Russell. And the reason I say it's a red light is because we, we, there's been talk, of course, about the Lakers and DeJounte Murray and D'Lo and where would he go and whether a third team would be interested. And some people said some people have thought that the Sixers could jump in to try to get that. And I just think that's a total red light. D'Lo is a super, super streaky player. Um, he's not he's he's a, he's a solid playmaker, but not that much of an upgrade of a playmaker to me over Maxi. And having both those guys in the backcourt, specifically on the defensive end. Now, I'm not saying Maxi is terrible. He's gotten much better, and he's 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 gotten better, and he's holding his own. But him and D'Lo couldn't be on the court in a crunch time. It would just be Hunt City for all of the best teams that they play. You think about last year, um, how some games D'Lo didn't play with Minnesota and the Lakers, and sometimes even now, depending on how good he's playing, D'Lo's not even playing in the fourth quarter. Like he didn't play in the fourth quarter last night or late in the fourth quarter um, against the Lakers. So it's just, I just feel like it's a red light. Yeah, they could definitely use some of his scoring for sure. They need every bucket they can get right now with so many injuries, taking out all the, you know, the point scorers that the Sixers have. But I just think even if, you know, 
his contract, he has a player option. Of course, he would probably accept that player option. And then you would kind of be stuck unless you try to remove him again in the summertime after he, you know, opts in. But, you know, who knows the financial implications of that, whether if he opted in, can he still be traded? Like, those are things I don't necessarily know right now. But I do think that, you know, if there's any, even if you can get D'Lo for free, like, just don't do it. And that's my real life. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, you're right. He, he hasn't really been connected to Philadelphia, but you can kind of read the tea leaves as to why uh, somebody may say, you know, oh, well, this this guy might be a potential fit. You know, you're talking about a, an offensive-minded guard who theoretically could work off a bench role, but, you know, with that guy specifically being D'Lo, I just – I agree with you, Justin. I don't really see a path to how that exactly would work, and you know, with the player option, you know, if he does – uh, opt into that player option. It, yes, you can trade him right away. But the problem is, if nobody wants D'Lo now, are they going to want him during the summer? So I just, I I don't think that there is any real purpose to him. And honestly, just based off a, a team chemistry perspective, salary numbers are relatively similar. Would you trade Marcus Morris for uh, D'Angelo Russell? I don't know that I would. Uh, Sam, what do you think? I think in that specific trade, I probably would, given the fact that they just need another guard who can create. But that's really the maybe one of the only scenarios in which I would glowingly think of the Sixers trading for D'Angelo. He, you know, he obviously would provide, like I mentioned, like he can handle the ball. He'll shoot from three. He can, you know, take some pressure off of Max and whatnot. But he's just not the the process that he the way he goes about it is not always super great. He's not a big factor from the foul line, he's not a great factor of taking it inside to the rim. Uh, he's, he's a jump shooter, and he's a guy that operates, you know, kind of slowly more of like a change of pace type of guy. And while that can work sometimes, uh, I don't know if D'Lo is the type of guy that would really uplift the Sixers. He would just be more of like a stylistic change of pace, which might be at least better to watch, but maybe not necessarily better in terms of like making them more competitive. So, yeah, I'm – I'm out on D'Angelo as well. Yeah, and the one interesting thing is just the last thing I want to say about D'Angelo Russell. Uh, you know, what's what's interesting about him is is that the success that he's seen obviously has been around LeBron James. Uh, you're not going to have that here in Philadelphia. Uh, Joel Embiid's going to be out for an extended period of time. When he does come back, you know, a little bit closer to the playoffs, are you going to have that time where you have that kind of uh, almost that black hole on offense that just draws in defenders so you can kick it out to Russell on the catch and shoot? I mean, yeah, you're you you will have it then, but until then, how how does this guy actually get his uh, his shot from three? Like that's been his most uh, valuable asset. He's shooting over forty percent from three, but you know, again, he's he's working off of looks from LeBron. There's AD down low to, uh, you know, kind of take up, fill up that void a little bit. And you don't really have that in Philadelphia. You know, I think that he'd be fine, but he's he wouldn't even, I, I would think, this is speculation, but I don't even think he'd be as efficient as he is in LA, in Philly, considering the other parts that are uh, currently moving for the Sixers. But uh, moving on to, to the next red light candidate, this one, some people probably aren't <laughs> – I don't think people are going to agree with this one because this, this is a player who 
was reported the Sixers were interested in, and then right after about the same person was reported that they're not interested in. I want no parts of DeMar DeRozan. Uh, I, I love DeMar as a player. I think that he, from what I've heard, is an even better person. Uh, I, I, in theory, think that there is a world where DeMar could kind of work as a Jimmy Butler light with this. And when I say Jimmy Butler light, I'm talking about obviously that season when he was with the Sixers alongside Joel Embiid. But there is just so much more mid-range action that Embiid is working now than that year with Jimmy. On top of that, to play him alongside Tobias Harris is just, it's an utterly terrible fit. You have two guys who who don't want to shoot the rock from deep, and that's that's just never, uh, I mean, we've seen that you know, watching the Sixers for as long as we've had. You know, we've seen that from time to time, and it just does not work out. Uh, he's a worse defender than Tobias. And mind you, you're not necessarily losing Harris to to gain DeRozan. And in in either scenario, I just don't think it's worthwhile. You know, losing a player like Harris isn't worth it for a player like DeMar. And if you do have them together, just how do they work together? You're talking about two guys who thrive in the mid-range. Meanwhile, the team's best player operates constantly from the mid-range, from the elbow and from the nail. Like, there's just not that window into a cohesive offense is not that direct path uh and then again as as far as a defender i just don't think it's it's sensical either i mean as a facilitator there's definitely things to like could you play DeRozan off the bench you could try i think he'd probably find that a little disrespectful uh i i just don't see a world where this works out and chicago if they're wanting multiple firsts for caruso i i would think that their ask is if not quite that high, because Caruso's low dollar value definitely helps, uh, still relatively high. I, I wouldn't even throw a first-round pick for DeMar DeRozan right now. That's just me. What do you guys think? Yeah, man, DeMar still has some juice left in the tank, but I thought about this not – I mean, with the Sixers, no, for all the reasons you said. And I've thought about just like, you know, if Chicago does decide to go that route, what teams make sense for him? Because he really, at this stage of his career – he can create shots in the mid-range, but his lack of spacing the floor from deep and his you know questions as a defender just makes him so limited. Um, I mean, one that comes to mind is, I guess, OKC. I don't know if they would move him to the bench or whatnot, but I think you know with what they have going on with Chet as the spacing five, you know, taking some pressure off of SGA, that would make sense. But uh, for the Sixers, it really doesn't. For as solid as a player, DeMar still is. The spacing with the frequency of... Um, post touches and you know mid ranges that Embiid and DeMar take that's just not happening. DeMar has a, a skill that he's still good at but none of the complementary skills that the Sixers uh need um from their guys around Embiid. So yeah, very very easy no for me. Yeah, I'm I am interested. I it's more of a question than a comment. Say it with if, your chest. Go yeah, for it. I feel like if the Bulls are making a deal and they say, if you want Caruso, you got to take DeRozan, is that something the Sixers should entertain? Is a question to me because if the Sixers really want Caruso and, you know, the asking price is high, like two first-round picks, and maybe they say, okay, you give us a first-round pick and a pick swap or three seconds or whatever, but you got to take DeMar. Is that something that the Sixers should entertain given the roster construction already? 
I can't imagine that DeMar is a contract that they would look to dump like that. To my knowledge, mm-hmm. he's expiring. But right. I think in that sense, it does make – at least make, makes a little more sense because that is such a nice talent upgrade that you, you know, take that upgrade. I mean, again, it depends on what else is out there. But, you know, if you take that talent and ask the questions later, maybe there's something that can be worked out. It, it is tricky, but, I mean, I, I that just kind of speaks to how highly I think of – Caruso that right. it would make sense to just take DeMar because he's expiring too. It's not like you're yeah. committing to like who we mentioned earlier, Kuzma. You're not committing to him for four years. You're committing to him. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, the the second half of this year and then that's it. So yeah, yeah. I believe for, for DeRozan, yeah, it's not yeah. so yeah, for DeRozan, yeah. Yeah. Interesting scenario. I, I think in that in that it would be a more begrudging, but like, yeah, do it. Yeah, I, so I would entertain the idea um of basically bringing in DeRozan and Caruso in that scenario you're likely losing Harris and I I do think with what the combination of Caruso and DeRozan bringing together I I would say maybe not the exact scenario that you mentioned but just the general concept of of DeRozan and Caruso you could probably sell me on you know if you're talking about Harris a first round pick and some seconds for um you know, well, one or, or possibly, you know, a pick swap may be included, whatever the draft compensation is. I mean, the thing is that either way, you're still talking about well more than a first round pick uh, to land Caruso at all. So to land Caruso and DeRozan, you have to think you're going to be getting some uh, as well in that scenario. So uh, it, it's likely if that would even happen, far more complicated than we're making it, you know, where you're probably setting Harris to a third team. Uh, you know, one of these teams that has had reported interest in him, like Sacramento, for instance. Uh, so the scenario is, is probably too complicated to the point where it's not even really worth talking about, but, uh, the idea of adding Caruso and DeRozan. Yeah. Well, yeah, in theory, it, it interests me, but I think that's more so just the idea of adding Caruso, uh, in general, that, that kind of interests me, but moving on to yellow, Sam, who's your yellow light guy for us today? I have for you, DeJounte Murray. And this is a guy who the reporting from some other reporters has been that he's a guy that the Sixers are kind of cooling on. Maybe that changes if they still want to push for the playoffs this year. They might need a guy who plays at a, you know, fringe star level. And the indication is that DeJounte could be made available by Atlanta. Uh, I don't think the fit is super clean with him and Joel, but I see a pathway in which it can work. And that's why he's a yellow light instead of an outright red. He's someone I've kind of warmed up to recently, just thinking of the skills that he has and if he's willing to be a little more malleable than what he was with Atlanta. I think um, defensively, he is not, you know, he has a higher reputation that's starting to come down to earth now, but he still can defend. I think he would be helpful. Like Nick Nurse is still hesitant to give Jaden Springer a ton of minutes. And I feel like they really need a guy who can serve as an on-ball stopper. And I think, DeJounte has the the build to to become that if he wants to. And maybe with having Maxi and Embiid whenever, you know, for when he gets back, like having them to lean on maybe will help him, you know, conserve some more energy, take on a different role and, and be that guy on defense. Um, his shooting in years past hasn't been great, but he's improved this year a good bit. So that is kind of, you know, helpful thinking, well, when he doesn't have the ball, what is he doing? Maybe he's not a, necessarily a floor spacer. He's probably not a guy that is going to generate a lot of super hard closeouts all the time. But if he's a guy that will is willing to take and make the open three, and 
it's not just um, last I checked, it's not just his percentage that's improved. It's his volume. He's just taking more of those threes. And that kind of leads me to believe that that improvement is much more legitimate. Uh, it also kind of speaks to the state of the the trade market where he's one of the, you know, better upgrades, even though he is, you know, kind of a shaky fringe star type of guy. And, you know, not to completely blame him for all of Atlanta's, you know, being chronically mid as they are right now. Like the fact that he's one of their main guys and he's supposed to be able to do all this stuff, but the Hawks are still not that great is a bit worrisome. Um, but just given who's available at this deadline, especially with Levine off the table after the season, I see a vision in which he can get to the Sixers and make it work. I would be very cautiously optimistic about that. And I don't love the taking on of the rest of his contracts for the foreseeable future, but I, I can see a way in which DeJounte would work for the Sixers, even if my initial belief is that it might not be the best fit. Justin, what are your quick thoughts? No, I mean, I'm, yellow is right. I, I mean, I'll lead towards green a little bit just because of the situation that they're in right now. And I think as his contract, as as the years go on his contract, I think with the cap going up and the new TV deal, I do think that his contract won't be enough percentage of the cap-wise to necessarily worry about. And I think it will be movable if they need to. Um, but I just think they need somebody right now to help plug holes and stop the bleeding and be competitive. So, you know, if it's a possibility and it makes sense, um, I do think that's something they should entertain and kind of worry about the fit when it be later. Yeah, there's uh, a bit I want to agree with you, Sam, on a bit I don't want to agree. Uh, like you guys, I, I actually did have him as yellow. Uh, and I, I think that that is where he should stay. The biggest reason for me why he's sticking the yellow is the price point. Um, the fit, I agree, Sam, is definitely wonky uh, alongside both Maxi and Joel Embiid, and that is a little worrisome. Uh, the one area I do want to disagree, uh, and and it's like a fringe disagree, because I agree that his, his reputation defensively is greater than his ability defensively. I don't think he'll ever be that defensive stopper. I don't think he has the strength to do that. I don't think that he will ever attain that strength. Uh, and so because of that, that lowers the ceiling to me of what acquiring DeJounte Murray will be. I think he kind of is what he is at this point. Uh, probably a guy who more than likely will never be an all-star again. I'm not trying to slight him. He's still a very good player. Uh, the the three-point improvements that you've mentioned, I actually feel a little bit more confident in than the idea of him growing even more as a defender. And he's a pretty good off-ball defender, which is not a bad skill. Uh, but when you look over the past four years, you have seen growth not only in his percentage, but also in his attempts in every single year, going from three to 4.3 to 5.2 to 6.2. Those are his attempts over the past four years, going from 31.7 to 32.7 to 34.4 to 36.8. Again, each of the past four years, you're seeing that growth as a three-point shooter. He's obviously seen a lot more catch-and-shoot opportunities playing alongside Trey Young. He's not going to have Trey Young in Philadelphia, but Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid will absolutely be able to find him off the catch. So I do think that there is a role to have. The contract, I won't say that it worries me. I think it's perfectly tradable, especially with the level of player that he is. And I like the idea that I think he, he while the fit isn't perfect, he's capable of playing alongside Tyrese Maxey. 
because you're looking for that postseason value as well. Uh, so that is what I do like about DeJounte Murray. For me, I just think he's going to be more expensive than what the Sixers should give up. I, I would say at most you would give up matching salary and, and two first-round picks, and I just think Murray is going to end up costing more than that, so that's why I, I had him as yellow. But uh, moving on from Murray, Justin, who did you have in your yellow slot? In my yellow, I have Malcolm Brogdon. Um, yeah, in my yellow, I have I have him yellow because I feel like you can make the case for, of course, him being on a roster and the Sixers looking to trade for him. Um, kind of connected to him earlier when the whole Drew Dane thing went down. Um, and after Drew went to Celtics, there were some rumors and discussion about him. Uh, the Sixers may, may be interested in him or the Sixers may be able to go after him. It's definitely cool since then. But, I mean, he's a vet in Portland on a team that's trying to tank um, at this point. Um, the young guys do need to play. Um, Shaden Sharp, Scoot, uh, Anthony Simons, they all need to play. And I think that he would help the Sixers um, from a defensive standpoint, ball handling standpoint, and a scoring standpoint. Um Right now, I believe he's averaging like 15, almost 16 a game, um, shooting 40% from three on five attempts. That's that's solid volume. He would probably shoot more threes here. Um, he can handle the ball. He can dish it. Um, he's a bigger guard, so in the backcourt, it would fit well with Maxi. But then on the downside, um, Brogdon's health has just always been a question in his entire career. And last year, I think he played career-high 67 games. He didn't start any. Um, he's still starter worthy in some on some instances, but um, yeah, he's just never really healthy, and you can, you can never really count on him to be healthy when you really need him. The Sixers are already dealing with health issues; they don't need another guy to come in and not play. Like it's just frankly, and you know, you also hear little tea leaves and whispers about his attitude and personality in the locker room. So I don't know how that would necessarily match here. I mean, the Sixers have had worse personalities in the locker room. I'm, I'm sure about that. But, um, yeah, I just think that, you know, contract-wise, I think he's on the hook next year um, for, like, $22 million or something like that. So, again, whether the Sixers want to pay that next year, I mean, sure, they could try to move him, but it's always tough flipping guys. But I do think he could help right now. He would definitely be at a lower – price point than the DeJounte Murray for sure. You might you might be able to get Braga for two seconds, but you'll probably wind up having to give a first or maybe a fake first for him and match his salaries. Um, so there's a thought process um, for, for the stopgap. So that's why he's in a yellow for me. Any thoughts on Malcolm Brogdon, Sam? I had him as yellow as well for, for a lot of the same reasons. Um, I think he can be the the right type of offensive spark that the Sixers kind of need. I, I like him more than D'Lo. I think Brogdon can, you know, he's not a, a pure, you know, rim attacker, but I feel like he can get downhill a little bit better. can do a little bit more, um, has always been a pretty solid shooter. And I think especially working off of, you know, stars like Embiid and Maxi, similar to how he did with the Celtics last year, I think he would be pretty solid. Uh, his playoff viability and his health do raise a lot of, questions um obviously if he gets hurt or if he gets you know played off the floor then that's a big problem his playmaking like he can make plays but it's not necessarily his tendency so if you're giving him the keys to the offense you might you know have to 
rely on him having a hot shooting streak to, to get anywhere. But I do think he can be integrated with the what the Sixers have and be pretty effective playing a few different uh, lineups. So they could – I mean, bottom line, they could do worse. I think he would be a, a, a solid addition for Philly for all this. I think they could do worse is definitely big-time yellow light energy. And I, I agree with you guys. Uh, this is – I think our first sweep three for three on the yellow list here for Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, and yeah, it comes down to the injury concerns. A little bit comes down to price. I think that, yeah, you're looking at a first round pick to land Malcolm Brogdon. The Blazers are saying that they're not necessarily uh, dying to move him, but uh, if they can get a first, I, I think they'd be foolish not to. And I think they kind of feel the same way. So they're just making sure that they can get a legitimate first for, for Malcolm Brogdon, which is what I think the, the price ultimately will be just for uh, a player who, yes, he does a lot of, that the Sixers really need. You know, he's, he's a more than capable shooter, willing shooter, willing facilitator. You know, he's not Steve Nash with it, but, uh, you know, he can at least functionally work the position. Uh, and he can play alongside Tyrese Maxey, which is, again, huge, especially come playoff time. But all that being said, to, to give him a first-round pick for – uh, it, it's kind of the same reason why I don't love the idea of bringing in a guy like DeAndre Hunter, who, when you look at the skill set, is a great fit in Philadelphia. But those injury concerns are are just too much to to concern yourself with. I think uh, moving into next year, and 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 really, when you look, the Celtics were almost unable to move this guy. I mean, the Clippers deal fell apart because. Uh, Brockton had a red flag on his injury. Now he's he's played mostly healthy this season for the Blazers. But that doesn't just go away. Like there's, there's still, you know, reason to wonder why was there that concern during this off season. Uh, I think that was a draft night trade, if I remember correctly, that just ended up not materializing. But uh, I think it was a few days before the draft. A few days draft. before, but you know, it just it, 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 you can't take that out of the equation. Like there's not only is there a track record going back over the course of his career, but that was a very big red flag at that moment, at least for the Clippers. Uh, so, it, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that Brogdon is uh, deservedly so on that yellow list. So for me, and this is tough because this player is, when you look at fit, when you look at uh, ability, this person is an easy green light. But when you look at price point, this is where we start getting into a little bit of trouble. And we've talked about this player a little bit tonight, uh, as well. But for me, that guy is Alex Caruso. And I love what Caruso brings to the table. I think he would be a major upgrade for Philadelphia. I think that what he brings defensively, nobody else brings, not even DeAnthony Melton, who the Sixers sorely miss. Part of the reason, as I mentioned, is that price point. This, the Bulls are looking for at least two second-round picks, is what all the reports are saying. That is just incredibly too rich for my blood, uh, given the Sixers' small asset pool. If this were an asset-rich team like you know the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, even the uh, you know Memphis, you know well not so much the Memphis Grizzlies anymore, but the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, a- a- any one of those teams, and, and maybe I'd consider it. But uh, the Sixers only have what they have to work with, and they just got back to this point where they actually have some movable assets. So uh, to move multiple firsts just for a player of Caruso's talent, which is immense defensively, but without Joel Embiid for so long. The Sixers are going to need some offense, and and I'm a huge proponent of adding defensive players. Uh, but you cannot, 
trying to pick a better turn of phrase, one that's a little more uh, family podcast friendly. Uh, but you cannot expunge all your assets on one move for a guy who's going to average 10 points per game for you. I just don't think that's if you find a way to bring him in for one first round pick and then even like a litany of seconds thereafter, I'm more than comfortable with that decision. But if you're talking about two plus first round picks, I just think there's no way that you can, uh, you know, rationalize bleeding all those assets uh, ahead of the trade deadline. So uh, am I crazy? Does anyone disagree? I know Caruso is an immense talent and he would be a green light on a lot of people's lists. So where are we feeling about Caruso? I mean, I, 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 f- I feel you. Um, and, and I do agree. I think it's the price point. And I think because he's such a hot commodity in the league, the Bulls really can use that for leverage, right? And plus, what are they, ninth in the standings, something like that? Like, the Bulls and their organization, like, in their front office, they're the type that, like, all right, we're in the play and like, this is good enough. And so they, they probably won't tank, even with, you know, Zach's injury. And then they resigned Vucevic uh, long term, like for three more years, like just like not even the best roster construction. But I digress. But I just think the price point is going to be a lot. I think a lot of people are going to want Caruso. A lot of contenders are going to try to get Caruso. And I think when it comes to the bidding more, like you said, do you want to give two first round picks or more for a guy who's going to come in? Yes, change your team defensively, but offensively, like specifically without Embiid, like you're going to ask Caruso to. Like you said, maybe go from nine or 10 points a game to like counting on him to score like 17, 18 points a game. And can he that's do that? Maybe, yeah. but no, it's probably not. So, you know, I think that's a lot to give up where he doesn't pack that much of an offensive punch with the team missing and beat. Yeah, the Bulls are for sure. They they look at themselves and they see a ninth seed in the play-in tournament and the world looks at them and they see a team four games under 500. It's a big, stark difference between how they view themselves and how the world views them. I, I totally understand the concerns about um, paying this price for a guy who is essentially a, a role player, not a guy who's going to come in and boost the offense. I totally get that, but I think Caruso is so good that you just almost like close your eyes and submit that offer if it's possible. I mean, and Chicago has been pretty unrealistic in, in some of their asking uh, prices. Oh, is he? Uh, it's a visitor down here. Um, anyway, Caruso, like, and no shade to DeAnthony Melton, who you mentioned, Zach, but forget comparing him to DeAnthony. Like, he is one of the best defenders, regardless of position, across the entire league. He's a guy that you could go stick on just about any guard, any perimeter player, and he can be incredibly impactful. Like we, you know, we've seen so much about Nico Batum, how great he can be with not just defending multiple positions, but spreading the ball around, shooting threes, taking smart shots. That's the type of guy that Caruso is. He's a super smart role player that maybe he's not going to score even 15 points a game, but I'm willing to bet that he can help create better looks for others just by attacking the right gap, making the right pass. I understand that making a trade for that guy is really, it's tough to envision when MB is going to be out for you know potentially a long period of time. So I understand like, oh, you're trading for him now when there's not a real shot at like going for the championship. And he does have, um, I believe another year next year. So you would, even if you are getting him for next year, it's like making that trade now using those precious assets, um, like was mentioned, the Thunder, like they can throw picks at anybody because they have so many. The Sixers have to be very particular, very, you know, um, 
make sure that they're using those super smart because they only have so many. But I do understand your guys' concerns, but I still think I would leave Caruso. He was one of my green light guys. I think I'm going to leave him there just because I know like the high level role player stuff that he can provide. I think at the end of the day, like I'm super confident that he would make the the Sixers better. So I would keep him a green light, but I do understand the concerns. Well, you talk about confidence, and I think the one thing that could really convince the Sixers that Caruso is a worthwhile target, uh, no matter the price, is their confidence in Joel Embiid's return ahead of the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, what they end up hearing as far as his timetable could decide that in a lot of ways. Because if you're entering the playoffs with, you know, a, a, for the most part, healthy Embiid, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, Kelly Oubre in the proper role, hopefully a healthy D'Anthony Melton, uh, yeah, you can say that you may have enough scoring at that point that you can deal with having Caruso uh, as a guy who who it's not like he's a nothing. You know, this isn't you know uh, uh, Ben Simmons as a scorer. This isn't Matisse Thybul as a scorer. Like this is a guy who you know he will give you like eight to ten points per game. I think his scoring would go down in Philadelphia as opposed to as opposed to you know where he is right now with the uh, with the Bulls just because he is playing more minutes than I'd expect him to play in Philadelphia. It's more of a role, what have you. Uh, again, this this isn't a no for me. This isn't uh, – I don't see Philadelphia convincing themselves. This is just a maybe we can get him cheaper in the offseason uh, kind of a thought here. So I, with that confidence behind Embiid, yeah, anything could, could absolutely change. But uh, Caruso was a green light guy for you, Sam. Uh, we, we just in case this happened, we we picked multiple guys at, at each of these spots. Uh, so why don't you give us another one of your green light guys today? Yeah, he he wasn't my main green light guy, but I figured he would be mentioned, so I put him under green. Um, I'm gonna name Boyan Bogdanovich um, of the Detroit Pistons. Man, not even the smelly Detroit Pistons can stop this guy from shooting the ball and, and scoring it at a very efficient level. He is pretty old. He had some recent. Um, he's not. He hasn't been a guy that has it had like lingering injury concerns, but he had some stuff recently, but he's, he's good now health wise. And he's still very good at shooting the ball. His volume, his efficiency is fantastic at six, seven. He has a nice high release point. He can shoot it really quickly, can shoot it in a lot of different ways, moving off the catch off the dribble. Uh, He can create his own shot, not too much of a playmaker, but he is on the wing. So it's not like a situation, like I mentioned Brogdon, where you need him to be a really big playmaker for others. Like he's a guy that, they can help really run their offense through um, when either Embiid or Maxi is sitting. Um, he fits super well with both of them. He is the type of floor spacer that would make them so much more dangerous. You know, just imagine the, you know, when Embiid's back and he and Maxi can come back into their two-man game. You can't help off of Bogdanovich because he's going to catch, shoot, and probably make it with all that space he's getting. Again, think about how well he is doing with Detroit. Obviously, he's not leading them to wins or whatnot, but like he's still getting those shots up, he is currently shooting 42.5% from three on 7.4 attempts from three per game. Almost half of his shots come from three. That's what he's doing with the Detroit Pistons, man. He would be such a fantastic fit with Philly. I don't think his defense – it used to be pretty solid where he was the main guy guarding LeBron James in the series one time. He's not going to be a main guy anywhere he goes, regardless for the rest of his career. But I don't think he's so bad that – you can't play him. I, I think he is such a fantastic shooter. He plays at a position of need. Um, I think he would be a fantastic fit with Philly. And again, obviously, all this stuff is dependent on Joel, um, how long it will take him to recover. 
But I think if the Sixers believe that Embiid is going to be back at some point, they really should look to get uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. Justin, any thoughts on the Detroit Bogdanovich? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've had him in the yellow, but, um, I mean, Sam Sam just convinced me. Like, <laughs> he was very convincing. But I think that he is a secondary ball handler that they do need, um, regardless of Embiid's timetable this year. Like, they need guys who are able to put the ball in the basket and take pressure off Maxi, trying to feel like he has this, you know, score 30, 40 a game for this team to stay competitive while Embiid is out in excellent absence. Like, they need guys that can put – get buckets. And I think he's one of those guys. He does it in his own way. He's not flashy. He he goes at his own pace, but it works. And he's a willing shooter, and he will shoot seven threes a game, eight threes a game. And he won't – even if he's not making them, he won't shy away from it when it comes time to, you know, be at the end of the game or in a clutch situation. So it does make sense. Um, I think he has one more year on his contract, so the Sixers would eat that until next year. But, you know, he's definitely somebody with Tobias possibly coming off the books next summer can slot right into his starting role going forward if they did make that move. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I had him on yellow, but, you know, Sam just convinced me to go go green. Yeah, uh, listen, it, perfect fit from an offensive standpoint. You know, he's a guy who uh, can not only shoot the rock, but he can move it around a little bit. Uh, the the contract, the non-guarantee for next year is, is certainly helpful. But on top of that, I, I I would expect him to be back next season with the Sixers if they were to, to acquire him via trade. You can slide him just about anywhere. You know, he's a little bit of a defensive liability, you know, but even still – this team isn't doing anything without Joel Embiid and without, and with Joel Embiid, you are able to have a player or two like that in the lineup where uh, it's much more important rather just to say that you have a guy who is not a defensive uh, or not an offensive zero than a defensive zero. So you'd much rather have a defensive zero in a lineup with Embiid than an offensive zero. So this is like basically the antithesis of a Matisse Thibel type. Uh, because Joel Embiid's going to plus up those uh, poor defenders. And, and we've seen that at times. I mean, Kelly Oubre, for a large part of the year, has looked his best, obviously, when Joel Embiid is in that lineup. And Tyrese Maxey has seen a lot of improvement. Most of that, I would say, is just due to his competitive drive, because he is, if nothing else, pesky as a defender, and he has this immense hard work. But that being said, Having that anchor behind you, again, is immense. So if the Sixers are going to do anything at all, it's with an Embiid in the lineup. So having a guy like a, a, a Bojan Bogdanovic, who is not necessarily known for his defense, but is just an absolute sniper from three, absolutely, I'm all for it. So, Justin, uh, who is your green light candidate? Hear me out. Hear me out when I say. My green light candidate is Andre Drummond. Okay. Now, okay. now, now, I may not be as convincing as Sam was, but the Sixers need rebounding, rebounding, and rebounding. And what is he good at? Rebounding. The Sixers with Embiid healthy this year have looked like a much, and Nick Nurse's rebounding camp or whatever they did in the beginning of the year 
like looked like a much better rebounding team. As he started to be hampered with some injuries, you can see that Embiid stopped necessarily going after every rebound and just like conserving his energy for the offensive side where he know the team really needed him. Now without Embiid or the games they haven't, you see so many giving up so many offensive rebounds and I just think they need a presence in the middle that is able to get rebounds and also catch lobs. Paul Reed has had some good games and some bad games recently. And he just never seemed like he's gotten it together from his great stretch at the end of the year last year and in the playoffs. Paul Reed played great and deserved the money that he got. But right now, the Sixers need different options. And as much as Mobamba, as far as being a local kid going to West Town and living in Westchester and all that stuff, like he has some moments, but he's not it. He cannot defend in space. I'm not saying Andre Drummond can, but he's a much better, in my opinion, uh, like run protector. And he's a lob threat. And I feel like Maxi. Like when I when I envision a play with Maxi right now, I feel like with his downhill on a pick and roll, if they don't trap him, having a lob threat will be super helpful for him because he could either decide if he wants to do that floater, go to the rack, or or do that thing. And he, like you watch the way Trey plays, and I'm not saying Andre Drummond is um, Oneka or or Clint Capella, but I'm just saying it gives that lob threat, and they, they just don't have that right now. Paul Reed is not necessarily a lob threat, and Mobamba sure ain't a lob threat. And I just think that he would be an upgrade over Mobamba for sure. And I give, think it would give the Sixers a better look. And I don't think it would be expensive to get them. They need somebody who's going to pull those boards down and make sure they get the get another office, get an office of possession instead of giving the other team another chance to score. So that's why he's on the green for me. Yeah. And the idea of adding a center, especially as an innings eater, uh, while Joel's out, I, I definitely think is attractive. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the idea of bringing in a guy like Nick Richards from Charlotte. Uh, Andre Drummond is someone that fans almost instantly kind of uh, attach themselves to as a guy who could come in to not replace Embiid, obviously, but to, to again, eat those innings. And uh, admittedly, from an offensive rebounding perspective, he's he's having a fantastic season. Uh, I think there's a lot of like Moses Malone to his game where there's just kind of rebounding his own shot. Uh, so he's, I think he's still a good rebounder, but he is that way mostly just because of his size. Uh, there's not so much the technical uh, or, or I guess so much as he's not so much rich in technique as he is just uh, a ability to, out muscle guys and just be the bigger guy down low has kind of worked out for Drummond. So uh, as far as comparing him to Mo Bamba, I don't know that he does anything worse than Mo except for shoot the three. Uh, and I can think of at least enough things to fill out my hand on offense, you know, on, on both sides that he does better than Mo. So in, in that end price, depending, yeah, no, I, I, I get it. And he's one of the best teammates that uh, has been on the Sixers squad in uh, at least like the past decade. I mean, he was huge when he was here and the way that he supported the entire team, especially the blue coat guys. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, to have Drummond back, I think everybody would love. It's just a matter of of price and does he do enough for the team? But Sam, what are your thoughts? So through <clears throat> leading up to the deadline the past few months and thinking about what potential moves they might make for a center, I was really not digging it because I didn't feel like it was a position of 
great need. And the only guy that I was kind of like that I saw the vision for was Kelly Olynyk because he plays a different way where he's kind of a four or five can do, you know, can shoot, make plays. But obviously um, I think the term innings eater is innings eater is perfect for, you know, they want to, I'm sure they want to remain competitive um, for as long as Embiid is out. And I think Paul Reed, as good as he can be as a backup is very much overextended as a starter. Mo Bamba starting to become a little overextended as a backup. He look he he puts together some very nice sequences and then just has some of the most uh, confounding sequences. So he you know he's been very inconsistent. And even though they would lose you know a guy who can pick and pop, um, I, I think Drummond makes a lot of sense not just for his familiarity with Philly, but because he can help them out rebounding, which is an area they do need help in, particularly on the defensive end, defensive rebounding. Like he can come and help that. Um, he is you know. A uh, bit of a lob threat. He's a big guy, obviously, and uh, for at least the few uh, instances where he'll go point Drummond and give us a shaft and a pool highlight, I don't think that's in his bag as much anymore these days. But at least you know maybe the potential is there. But um, I, I would put him as a yellow light candidate. I didn't have him written down, but I would put him as yellow. I I think that you know trading for a center can sometimes be kind of risky. The business, especially because it's not always a position where you can just like stock up on it and be okay and just throw out a different combination here and there. But uh, Sixers are going to need some some center minutes, and if they do want to, you know, find another guy who can be a, a presence in the paint, uh, Drummond is a a pretty good name to go to. So I, I see the vision for sure. So I'm a little excited, personally. I I did not think I was going to get this opportunity to have my guy for the green light. Uh, I'm a little bit giddy, so give me a minute. But you know, this this is a player who so many have connected to the Sixers. Uh, granted, the asking price seems to be higher than people initially thought, but just offensively, he would solve so many issues for this team. And that player is none other than the other Bogdanovich, Atlanta's Bogey Bogdanovich, who. When you're talking about needing a shooter, when you're talking about needing a guy who can work as a creator, uh, when you're talking about somebody who is uh, on a deal that doesn't make you turn visibly ill, he checks all of those boxes. Just the way that he not only can shoot off the catch and shoot, but if you're looking for relocation threes, he can work that with you. Uh, he can even run that that two-man game, that Maxi and B run, you know, when Maxi's off the court. Like, there's there's so much versatility there offensively bringing in a guy like like bogey and uh atlanta again values him higher they're, they're pretty much for sale outside of jalen johnson and, and trey young they've made it clear that bogey is their most valued player on the block i think it's worth it to to go out and pursue him i mean sam kind of the way that you talked about caruso that's how i feel about bogdanovich just it's gonna cost a lot just close your eyes and hit send because this is a guy who can help you for years and years. Uh, I, I think that he would be a huge addition to this team, someone who can play alongside Maxi, play alongside Harris, play alongside Embiid. There's nobody who he really can't play alongside uh, looking from the roster top to bottom effectively. So uh, someone who I just think would, would fit in like a glove and provide a necessary offensive boost, not only while Embiid's gone, but – especially when when Embiid returns. I could probably go on for hours. We already hit the hour mark in this podcast. What do you guys think about Bogey? 
I like that. Yeah, I had him as green too. The both of the Bogdanoviches I think would be very welcome in Philly with the way they both shoot the ball. I picked Boyan over Bogey as my guy because I think him just being a little bit bigger will kind of make him a little more makes him more likely to be viable in the playoffs. Obviously, they both have plenty of playoff experience. Um, but yeah, man, Bogey can shoot it. He's another guy that defenses will not want to help out on and help off of, and it's going to be tough because of. Again, assuming whenever Embiid comes back, having Maxi, like they, the Sixers just need guys who are willing to pull it, are willing to shoot it, and he shoots it really well to put the ball on the deck a little bit. Um, I, I think he would be a super good fit with the Sixers. So, yeah, it's very much a, a green light candidate for me as well. I think he was in my green light too, and like everything else. said. And you went man. Andre Drummond over Bogey. You really are yeah, a good friend, man. Yeah, I appreciate you. Yeah, because I knew it was outside of the box. That's all. But, no, nah, I agree with everything you're saying. And I, but I, the only thing I would say is the price. But I don't know. Maybe maybe the Sixers spend all of their assets and get Bogey and Murray. Who knows? But, um, yeah, I, I think they, he would fit well. Um, second, great secondary ball handler. Could do everything else. You have a little mid-range, too. Can get to the buckle a little bit. Um, not uh, not terrible on defense. Not a slouch, but he's not great. But still, if Embiid comes back, and you're talking about going in the future with his long term contract, like Embiid will cover up for a lot of those a lot of those mistakes on the perimeter. So, I think if they can make that happen, I mean, that's definitely something that would really, really, really help this team out. For sure, couldn't agree anymore. Uh, before we wrap this up just because there's so many names to pour through around draft time. Did you guys have anyone that you wanted to, not necessarily shout out, but just a player that you wanted to bring up real quick? Could be a red, a yellow, or a green that you just feel really passionate about that uh, you're curious to see what Philadelphia could do with that player. Anyone who, who was on the list but didn't make the, the cut. I'll bring this up to you guys, who's a guy that I feel – uh, I, I kind of have a different take on him as a trade target from many other Sixers uh, fans and reporters. I'm not super sold on Tyus Jones. I think he's a solid player, but to me, I don't totally understand. I, we might have talked about this previously here or elsewhere, but like, he's a solid player, but he's not a guy that can fit with a lot of different players, particularly the guards, because he's an undersized guard. Um, so playing him with either Pat Bev or Maxi is kind of, you know, you're inviting trouble there for as good of a playmaker as he is for a solid of a, a player as he is, you know, taking care of the ball while also, you know, making plays. I don't know how great of a, you know, a need it really is because I don't want to say he's the same, uh, the same type of player as Patrick Beverly, but I just wonder how much of an upgrade he would be. And at that point using assets doesn't make a ton of sense. So while he is a solid player and he's a guy that like, you know, the the Grizzlies have had it for a while. So like if you're a playoff team and you have him, he's not a guy that you desperately need to upgrade over, but he's not a guy that like you a, a team should be looking for, or at least for the Sixers should be looking for since they already have Pat Bev who does a fine job and they're already built highly around a, a smaller guard. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah. Uh, Tyus Jones was a name I was surprised that didn't come up tonight. Uh, I do agree with your concerns. He, he's a player who I'm, I'd be, I think the Sixers would be willing to acquire again for the right price. Uh, and, and I think the reason why I would want to stick to that for the right price, which 
is well under the price of a first round pick uh, is, is very much for those same concerns. You know, we, we, and, and actually the conversation we had, Sam, I believe was actually at one of the games pregame. Uh, we were talking back and forth and uh, Tyus Jones does so much well and he would help the Sixers team out immensely in the regular season. And he would even be, be uh, of assistance in the playoffs as well. But how much opportunity would he have to do that? I, again, like you said, I don't think he's necessarily playing alongside Maxi. If he's getting what a ten minute run in the playoffs, like that's absolutely helpful. Is that worth a first round pick? That's the question. So if you're talking about a scenario where you can pick up a guy for two seconds, which I don't think that's the case, that's one thing. It just doesn't seem realistic that Washington would move off of him for for such a cheap price. So uh, that that would be the only scenario where I would say, and and I again love Tyus Jones as a player. I actually do love his fit in Philly just with those, you know, asterisks attached, but it, it has to come with the right price. Justin, what do you think? Yeah, right price. Can't spend the first round pick, fake one or not. Can't do it. Can't do it. Two undersized, already have some undersized guards on the roster already. We talk about Melton, who's great at his length, allows him to play up to the, you know, on the perimeter on wings, but he's a smaller guard too. Like you can't, can't do it. Less, like you said, two seconds. All right, cool. Let's make the call. But if you want a real first round pick, either a fake one, yeah, you could you can miss us with that one. Anyone that you're passionate about that you didn't really get a chance to talk about, Justin? Anyone left off your I mean, list? not not really necessary. Not really necessary. I mean, there's all pipe dreams and you know discussions, but you know, it did cross my mind when uh I think Shams had brought up that uh Clay Thompson, the, the Warriors would be listening to Clay Thompson offers. I said, hmm, you know, I thought about it. And I said, it was like, mm, nah. But that's somebody where it's like, it's interesting to see if they are really taking calls. And yeah. clearly, Tobias would have to be in that in a deal like that. But, you know, just a well, thought just came in my head. My two cents on acquiring Clay, you mentioned Tobias has to be involved. What else is Philadelphia getting in that scenario? That's my immediate first thought. Uh, just I, I value Tobias higher, higher than current clay. So, uh, you know, from that end, it's interesting. Again, it's one of those things that I, clay's not leaving Golden State. It's it's one of those things that, despite whatever reporting comes out around that, is it really worth talking about? But uh, so for the second time, I'm surprised that this guy went unmentioned. I'm elated that I get to talk about him, and he's an Atlanta Hawk as well. Uh, Sadiq Bay is somebody who. In or out of a Bogdanovich trade, I'm absolutely interested in acquiring, depending on the price, of course. Uh, he's heading into restricted free agency. Atlanta's not going to want to pay him. They made that abundantly clear. Uh, how much is it to get Sadiq Bey is, is my huge question because he's a guy who I could see being the heir to Kelly Olynyk in a sense. Kelly, more than likely, is not going to be on the Sixers team next season. Uh, there are... There's not, there's not really another Kelly Olenek in this league, uh, but there are Oubre, some Oubre, similarities. Ubre, thank you. I'm saying yeah. Olenek left and right. This is what happens when we go on for an hour 15. This is why we try and keep our pods to about half hour 45. Kelly Ubre, thank you, Justin. You're a good friend on Lake Sam. So Kelly Ubre, right? Uh, One of them be that. <laughs> Kelly Ubre uh, is likely not staying with the Sixers team past next season. So. Uh, Sadiq Bay, 
with that restricted free agent status, I don't expect anyone to necessarily toss the bag at him next year. Uh, you could bring him back on a relatively solid deal. I wish he were a little bit more uh, of a specialist from three, but even said he's still a growing player, you know, with the right coaching, right situation that could change. But more importantly, what he brings to the table, he's long, he's athletic, he's a very solid rebounder. And I think he's an improved defender over Kelly Oubre as well. Uh, so with all that being said, and he's the kind of guy who I think that you could reach out and grab not only for the short term, but also potentially for the long term as well. There was a report, I cannot remember who it was from, that I remember months ago about the Sixers possibly targeting uh, some young, controllable players uh, around the deadline or, or ahead of the deadline. And uh, regardless of, of that report, just that very concept, I do find interesting for building this team going forward. And it's part of the reason why uh, I have interest in Bogdanovich as well. Not so much the young portion, but again, that cost-controlled rationale, just with how we've seen free agency dry up, the ability to have that control, I think, is going to be immensely valuable. And you're talking about players who, if you do find uh, a, a trade in the offseason, which has always been part of the equation, having that cap space for a trade, these are players who could absolutely be included and possibly even have value in those deals. So Sadiq Bay for me is definitely a guy. I know we're going on a little long, but anyone have any quick thoughts on Bay before we turn in for the night? Nah. I thought you were going to say Hunter, but, you know. I, Hunter, if, if it wasn't for the injury history, I'd be yeah. interested in Hunter. Yeah, yeah Sadiq is solid to me. Um, I, I, I get what you're saying with um, Kelly Oubre not being on the team uh, potentially next year, and Sadiq obviously fits in as a 3 and D wing. He's not a guy to me that stands out as a gigantic difference maker, but perhaps in, you know, he, he's slowly getting, you know, Say he would be traded to the Sixers, he would be slowly, you know, climbing the ladder of situations. He was with the Lily Pistons, the Eh Hawks, and with a good you know, on a good team with him being healthy with the Sixers. I think he, you know, maybe could be show a little different things, but um, he's not someone who I have a you know gigantic interest in. But I definitely see the vision of a guy who can you know defend multiple multiple positions, shoot shoot the three. I, I see where you're coming from, Zach, for sure. Hey, man, the Hawks made it to the conference finals more recently than the Sixers, so I'd watch how you talk about it, fire sale or not. But yes, <laughs> No, uh, we, we went through a lot today. Obviously, the trade deadline is going to be huge. We're, we're going to try and have uh, a show post-trade deadline, either that very day or shortly thereafter, to kind of go over whatever moves major or more likely minor the Sixers do go through between now and then. But uh, for now, thank you so much for listening. I've been Zach Chavalella here with – Justin Crosby, and, of course, Sam Giovanni. And listen, this Joel Embiid injury, we get it. It's not easy. Trade deadline, not a whole lot of slop going around. Also not easy. Just like you guys, just remember that we are still processing.